back to Spellstorm Miniatures. Uh, my name is Jeremiah. <laughs> I'm Dan. And I'm Chad. And with us we have Curtis. Curtis. Hey, thank you, Curtis. <laughs> We're professional. We are very professional. <laughs> so. uh, we are a show about miniature war games. Um, we talk about all kinds of games, including War Machine and Hordes by Privateer Press. And our goal here is to inspire you to play more. Uh, we have a, a very exciting episode scheduled for us today. Uh, we brought Curtis on to be part of the conversation and we want to talk about how to manage your hobby desk. And Curtis is someone who is a part of our community and um, does a lot of uh, a lot of hobbying and and shows a lot of his work and, and has even won an award. And so we'll talk about that. And he's blushing a little bit, but um, yeah, but more importantly, um, being able to uh, just you know what what does he do some tips and tricks that he does just to manage you know his workload and and as by way of encouraging the rest of us so I'm I'm excited to have that conversation with you so thank you for being here with us thank you yeah uh, I'm, before, I'm gonna go on a limb and, and take a guess that the the secret to managing it is to stop buying models <laughs> well we'll see we'll see what Curtis <laughs> says uh, that's well, my prediction well there's a prediction there we go. So, uh, and good luck for everyone out there who wants to. But hey, before before we get there, uh, let's talk about the games that we've played. Have either one of you guys played any uh, non-War Machine games lately? Why, actually, yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice. the fun part. Um, no, pretty good week. Uh, I guess the first one was a little Age of Song of Ice and Fire. Or sorry, yeah, A Song of Ice and Fire. That's just, right. It's we just, got your first game in. Yeah, too long of a title. Yep. Unboxed some Starks there and uh, got to learn and play and figure some things out. Yeah. So it was really different working with a tray for yeah. movement. That was your first yeah, time, right? Yeah. It, yeah. Takes, it takes a while to get used to. Oh, yeah. I boxed myself in. I was at bad angles and all sorts of stuff. But Yeah, there was a piece of terrain that kind of limited both of us from having a really great engagement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, who was the jerk that put that uh, on the table? Uh, Dan, <laughs> actually, toss him down. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I put the inspiring ones because that's what I need as yeah. a free folk player. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> um, and then, uh, got out for a demo game of Mini Blitz. Yeah, both of you guys did that. Yep. Yeah, tell us more. Uh, so Mini Blitz is a let's see. <laughs> there, I, Legos, I yeah. So Mini Blitz, uh, Mini Blitz Games is the interchangeable core rule system for your favorite lore. Uh, provide rule that it provides rules uh, to bring your favorite characters to the tabletop gaming. Uh, so this is designed by a guy named Josh. Can't remember his last totally name. Totally blanking on where it hit, and it's not. I'm we not have... seeing it on here. Uh, Josh Burrier, I think, is what his name is. Okay. Um, he is. He lives up in Washington. He started designing this like four, four or five years ago, or something like that. So essentially, what it is is you you buy one of these decks. There's four decks currently that are different themes. There is uh, medieval, arcanum, which adds spells. Mm. Uh, 20th century, which is like. Um, modern your modern soldiers, times modern, yeah. your soldiers with uh, guns and stuff like that and there is the beyond earth which is all of your outer space so 
uh, laser swords and blasters and things like that. So, uh, so the idea is you buy one of these decks and then you build your characters out of Legos use, and you use pieces that you think are going to best represent the armor. And then you, um, you pick which items you want them to have, Hmm. uh, on the back of like the core, uh, book thing, there is, uh, a sheet that'll tell you how many pieces of equipment you can have everywhere. You can have one headpiece, one chest piece, one in each hand, one set for legs, um, one like back piece, which is like a cape or a jetpack or something like that. Uh, and then you can have any number of utility cards uh, in your hand, basically. So your utility cards you get to look at, but your opponents can't look at them. Uh, and everything, the thing that's really cool about it is there is a fatigue structure, a fatigue chart for how many studs you can move. The more gear that you have, the more fatigue it adds to you, the slower you move. But as you use items or as your armor breaks or you discard it, um, you lose fatigue and gain movement, essentially. Mm. So there's this cool little trade-off. So if your armor breaks and stuff, do you like take it off your little model, your little Lego guy? I yes, guess you could yeah, you if can. you wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Pop uh, his head off. Yeah, and the other thing that's interesting about it, too, is that it's kind of extremely lethal because each character only has two health points. Yeah. And nice. there are also quarter damage for various effects. So if you wanted to, you can, uh, so the other big thing that's really cool about this is you build your own arenas out of Legos. You build your own dungeons and things like that. And you can do it as a dungeon crawl where you have someone that's like running the dungeon, activating traps, creating neutral monsters, things like that. Or you can just do like a skirmish fight, arena fight, basically. Mm. And um, there's you know in-depth rules about different uh, different number of activations that you can do per round and stuff mm. like that. But um, it's really cool. Um, it's actually kind of pretty difficult to damage people because mm. of the armor that you have that can block damage what it is that is required to roll, because you usually need to roll at least a three in order to actually try and damage them. What kind of dice are you using? A D6. Yeah, that's what you should go and do a little bit more. When you attack, you have on your weapon, usually whatever it happens to be is usually a D6, a one to six, and you roll it, and depending on what you roll, you compare that to the chart for each weapon, and it might be one damage, it might be zero, as like a miss, or there's like the great sword or something has like a four damage if you roll a six. Yeah. That's what so, I want to carry. Yeah. yeah. The great yeah, the great sword is two-handed and it damages like I think it does no damage on a one to two. And then and then on a like three, four, five, six, it goes one, two, three, four damage. And it's one of the only weapons in the entire game that can actually one shot somebody. So okay, so you're using Legos mm-hmm. and you're using this little deck of cards to to kind of create your hero. Yeah. And that has who's, all your items and stuff. Who's the target audience here? Uh, anyone actually, I mean, if you like Legos and you like, uh, some customization. So I think it's kind of a, almost a little bit of munchkin mix. You can kind of get in there when you're getting wacky gear. Like you could have a guy wearing a chainmail shirt, but has a, essentially a lightsaber and maybe carrying a a baseball hat. Right. And Mm -hmm. maybe some throwing axes and, uh, whatever. Right. You can, you can really mix them up and have some fun with it. Um, but then it's kind of good for kids seem to enjoy it. Uh, my son was liking it. Um, yeah, it says for ages seven and up. Um, I feel like it's because of the depth of the game. There's probably a little more complexity there. Yeah, uh, it takes a little bit. I was kind of super lost when he was talking about the fatigue chart and the way that it worked. 
but it's actually kind of it's an it's a nice breakdown in design and things like that. Mm. Um, it just didn't make sense to me at first because I hadn't really ran into it before. But, yeah. Um, you, you know yeah. when when my kids were younger, we did a lot of like RPGing, and I was and I wanted to. I, I did a lot of exploration of a lot of um, like RPGs that were modified for kids, mm-hmm. and so like even D and D had a um, when fourth edition was around, they had a twelve page PDF that was downloadable mm-hmm. that um, that you like cut out little little figures and you colored them like a, like a coloring book kind okay. of thing. Like it was it was all two D. It was not nothing 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 three D about it, and and it was a great way to. Uh, to introduce my kids to mm-hmm. combat, to ideas of like adjacency, wounds, and things like yeah. that. But the whole, idea, but so like, so it sounds like it's like these like a simplified version of of like maybe some D and D mixed with some. You mentioned Munchkin. That's the first thing I thought of with yeah. Munchkin, and then maybe even like Frostgrave. Yes. Because like yeah. Frostgrave is pretty deadly, pretty random. Yeah, you know, you're creating um, all your own terrain and stuff. The yeah. other thing that I really liked about it, um, and I'll show you kind of more, is on the so on the outside of all the instructions and everything, yeah. there's all the different squares, and then there's also some numbers on here. Those are stud increments. So this is your movement, your measuring stick. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah, your reference sheet is pretty much. So if you're like, yeah, I could walk twelve studs. Well, you don't want to sit there and count one, two, three, four, yeah. five studs, yeah. right? You just use the the very sheet that you're holding. Anyway. Exactly. Yeah. I was yeah. Talking with them keeps it all in one. Yeah. Yeah. It's super like handy. That. So it's pretty simple. I mean, basically, it was what fourteen bucks for a deck. Mm-hmm. Came's with uh, you know four character sheets, enough clips to monitor your health, um, your fatigue level, yeah. stuff like that, your movement. Um, comes with a D six. You know, yeah. I mean, as gamers, we have tons of those. Yeah. But yeah. you know, it's nice just to have. I think, I think we war machine players have a couple of those laying around. Just a maybe. few, yeah. um, and then plenty of utility cards and the equipment cards, so that you can kind of just get up and going. Yeah. Um, nice. Yeah. yeah, a single deck might be a you might be a little bit strapped for uh, options if you're using one deck to play with four people. Hmm. But at that point, it's probably just like a super easy intro game if you're only doing it with four. Yeah. But each deck is good for two to four people. Okay. Uh, and then you can also buy multiple decks and you can mix everything together. I love this too because you're using things you already have around the house like you said. Uh-huh. Yep. Right? Yeah. We all have my yeah. own Legos. Yeah. I was yeah. a little jealous of some of his Lego collection personally, I will admit. Like yeah. he had some the cool ice, pieces. The ice like temple thing that he had yeah. was super cool. Yeah. He had like a skull thing then he made custom dice towers even yeah. out of Legos. So I was yeah. like, yeah, I was those. talking to him yeah. how to like, how he like built it. <laughs> it's yeah. like, all right, how yeah. did you do that? Cause so there was cool. like a, there was like an ice, uh, fortress basically that had like four there was a like a a raised platform on each of the four corners and then uh in the middle towards one side there was like this big skull tower and you the skull tower was the dice tower so you just drop the dice into the top of it and it falls down to where the jaw is nice Uh, and so that was built into the terrain plus it looked super cool see that is awesome that's wicked cool you can so, totally put time into it. Yeah. So, so Dan, yeah. let me ask you. Let's, let's make this a little more pointed here. Uh, Alex is how old? Uh, six. Six. So not quite seven. But do you see yourself um, in the next year maybe introducing this game to him? Yeah, like I said, he kind of jumped right in. Was was eager to kind of check it out and play with it, right? Nice. Um, and so you could probably yeah. simplify some of the rules. And oh take, yeah. Take out some of the complexities about like. Um, 
like you could just take out the base rule of your your gear in your utility belt takes up weight. Yeah, I mean, and, there, there's and ways so to then do just it. like the armor that you're wearing and the weapons yeah. that you're carrying in your hands is the things that could potentially slow you down. Um, and so that way you don't have to worry about, oh, I used a, I threw a javelin that's minus five fatigue. Now I move a little bit faster. I threw another javelin. Okay. That drops me into the next bracket. Now I move even faster. Those are very small little micromanaging things that you could easily just kind of cut out for the purposes of teaching someone that's yeah. a little bit newer. That is not going to be a good, as good as bookkeeping all of those little things, even yeah. though there's a lot of depth to it and there are ways to keep track of all that stuff for the sake of like teaching kids. Um, it's a little bit easier. And then the other thing that's really cool is like all of the weapons and a bunch of the things have a certain number of charges. So like a longbow only, you can only shoot three arrows. Well, one of the utility items that you can give your characters is a quiver. And so you can use the quiver during your turn to reload all your arrows. So then you can start firing with your bow again. Nice. So there's also limited resources and things too. And once that makes uh, the player have to make decisions precisely that way, your, your one ranged guy back there isn't just shooting the longsword guy for like, you know, 50 studs until he can finally get to you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And there's also kind of an elegant system of like, um, the ranges, the different types uh, what types of effects they are or how difficult they are to hit or damage with. Like a longbow doesn't actually start doing any damage until you roll a four. Like on a, on a one through three, it doesn't do anything. But it has a range of 40 studs, which is twice as long as a crossbow. But a crossbow can damage more easily because yeah, it's like a shorter ranged weapon. Yeah. Uh, and then it also, like a crossbow, also has armor piercing, which is if you roll a six, not only does it do two damage but it also automatically does one health point damage. So if somebody has, like, there is armor that's in the game that has three armor. Uh, If you would suffer one damage, you turn the armor one way to represent that the armor is taking the damage. Now it only has effectively two durability left. Mm. But if you had a crossbow, and I have an armor that's value of two, if you don't roll the... If you roll the six... Not only does my armor take two damage, but then I also take a hit point damage automatically. Mm-hmm. Or it might only be it might only be one damage, but then it does an automatic hit point. Yeah. I mean, six. I don't have remember. to check them all out. Looked, yeah, I haven't looked neat. at the card. Yeah. Well, neat there's are, the there are also some cool uh different <laughs> abilities and things. Yeah, I was gonna say just kinda wrap it up a little bit, is that he was he was really cool and friendly about it and I guess yeah, yeah lives in like four hours away, he said he still had to drive home after the demo day. Mm. But you know, he's been he working on Everett. Yeah, mm. about four to five years he's been working on it, yeah. and this is like the fifth iteration. And you know, he plans on some expansions and stuff. So it was nice to kind of support localish Northwest guy. Yeah. yeah, you know, and building something. Does fun. he have any plans to like kickstart or anything? Or it started. He... It started with a Kickstarter it years did. ago. Okay, um, and now he's just kind of I think been is... building it. Nice, yeah. nice. Maybe got some uh, feedback from some of the people who. Supported initially, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think, I think Runeboard is currently his only in-store place in Oregon. In Oregon, his only retail place in Oregon to pick it up, mm. uh, and I think he's going to plan to try and come down again either next month, around Christmas, to do another demo day or something like that. Oh, that's cool. He he had enough people in there interested and enough people because like Dan picked up three decks and I picked up a deck. Nice. Um, 
Yeah, so man. there's only one more deck for you to get, Dan. I know. I almost did, but then I was like, uh, how much do <laughs> yeah. I really want to spend on this right now? Yeah. But yeah, he'll be around and he'll be at the uh, Lego fair or the conventions and yeah. stuff like that. He's going to be at like, uh, was it Cascade Bricks or whatever? Yeah. Or something. It's yeah, I don't yeah. know. Cascadia. Yeah. Cascadia Bricks, I think is the name Bryce of it. Bryce was really into Legos and Ozzy, not as much. And so yeah. I haven't been in Legos in like a decade. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> Well, I know you guys got some games in. Oh, man. I did, actually. And so um, I want to talk about, uh, mostly I want to talk about Black Friday. And I want to talk about the, the gaming day that we had here. And so, Curtis, you came out for that. Yeah. And I had, I had set up uh, three tables uh, in my garage. And I had one set up for War Machine. And so there was a couple War Machine games going that day. And then I had one set up for Song of Ice and Fire. But... Only one person brought their army, and and then the <laughs> and then the two people who were going to come, they came and they brought amazing cake. Uh, it was uh, like Robert's birthday, and so Judy had made this cake, uh, a Baratheon themed yeah. cake, and she did like all the sugar work and like chocolate work. Like it was it was incredible. I did not want to cut into it. Um, <laughs> I'm sad I couldn't so, come by. <laughs> oh my goodness! And so anyway, so so they they did come by, and we and we chatted and we talked. Um, but but no song of ice and fire was played that day. Uh, and then the third table, we had a, a game of Malifaux. I played Jason, and then um, and then we did two games of Frostgrave after that because three guys came by who aren't miniature players, and they wanted to get a demo of a game. And I can't think of a better game to give um, for your like your first intro into miniatures uh, than than Frostgrave, because uh, they both play D and D. They have that background, and yeah. so there's there's just a lot of like background knowledge that immediately comes forward mm-hmm. when you when you start playing Frostgrave. And one guy even brought his own um, like his old Mage Knight models, and so <laughs> and nice. knowing that he was going to play Frostgrave, and so he used the Mage Knight models as his warband. And and so that was that was a lot of fun. Perfect. Um, but but yeah, it was just it was like what, fifteen, fourteen of us. Um, I didn't count the name. Uh, I wrote everyone's name down, but um, um, but I didn't like. And we were all just hanging out and playing games, and it was exactly what I wanted to do on Black Friday because there's no way I was gonna go shopping. And seventeen, seventeen people. Yeah. Wow, that's that's great. And um, and uh, and and also uh, uh, one guy had. Uh, uh, kickstarted God tier um, mm-hmm. put out by Steamforn Games, and so mm-hmm. it arrived that morning. Oh, and so he brought the Sweet. whole thing and like unpacked it and got to sh- do a little show and tell. And it looks cool. Some of the models are cool. It's, yeah, it's Steamforge Games, and they're doing. Um, they're no longer uh, doing assembled models. They're doing the the pre-assembled kind of like how Simon does. Yeah, and so uh, so right out of the box you can play. They're in colored plastic. Each fa- each faction's in colored mm-hmm. plastic. And they're packaging it the same way that they package Guild Ball. So you have a two-player starter, and then you have, uh, which is going to have a, a certain dollar value with all of the inserts, right? And then um, and then they'll have subsequent war bands that you could just get for like $25 or $30 or something. Yeah, I think the price point yeah. goal is like around the 30 to 35 30, range. Yeah, which one. is not unreasonable. Yeah, and, and, it, and it gives you like a hero and then the couple of minions that comes right. with that hero. Yeah, you get, you get the full thing or whatever. It's like a MOBA style. Yeah. It's played on hexes. Yeah. And so there's, uh, I don't know, I'm not sure how measuring works, but he pulled it out and was kind I think of it's doing all a little hex based movement and hex based ranges and things yeah. like that, kind of like Riot Quest is. Yeah, okay. And, and Underworlds as well. So, yeah. um, 
Yeah, I'm. I love hexes, so it's cool. Um, I'm really interested in that game. I I got to see it when Nick and I went to the trade show back in May for ACD because Steamforged was there and they were talking about God Tier, and uh, I was talking to one of the guys that had some stuff that they were showing off, and it looks really interesting. And I really dig the idea that you can buy a box, open it up, put it on the table, and start playing. Yeah. And then I was looking through the rules PDF, but it's made by Steamforge, and they make very crunchy rule systems. Yeah. And so it was like a little bit much for me to try and read through and figure it out. But I'm definitely still kind of interested in it, especially yeah. because they were talking about they're not just going to have one two-player starter. For every combination of all the different factions and potential starters right. or heroes that they're having, they're making a two-player combo for it. And and I think Wes had at least two different two-player starters. Yeah. So, I mean, he... It was a big box. Yeah, so it's a lot like, of stuff. The thing, I mean, so. the thing that's nice is that there's four of us around the table. If all four of us want something different, the idea is that we can each go find a two-player starter that has yeah. two of the four factions that the four of us wanted, and we, we can just buy it. two starters and split everything, and yeah, then we yeah. all get what we want. We're not stuck with something or having to buy things individually. Yeah, yeah, um, and I think it's good. So. Yeah, but you know the Friday in general was just it was a great day. Mm-hmm. People got snacks and you know and beverages and I had to work. What, what, what did you think, Curtis? <laughs> did you have fun? Yeah, I did. I I more watched because I I came in ready to roll with Riot Quest, but it relies on another person bringing their box. Mm-hmm. So much like a Song of Fire and Ice, kind of came with half, <laughs> half a box essentially. Oops. And I'm like, oh, I just played the demo with Chad, and now I'm really excited. I want to play yeah. this. <laughs> like, okay, who brought theirs? No crickets. Yeah. See, and I'm <laughs> sorry. We we haven't picked it up yet, and so eventually we're going to get it. Um, we just haven't done it for some reason. Yeah, yeah it's so, really a lot of fun. It yeah. was surprising, you know, how different it is from War Machine. It is really yeah. just run around. You can kind of act crazy, and you know, it's just a bunch of fun, and it's yeah, it's so much quicker. It's yeah. one of those games where you can definitely uh, go for broke and make and try and make those big plays and not lose the generally not really lose the entire game for trying to do something cool and crazy yeah so that's, that's uh, my like, kind of game like you do yeah. in war machine i play that anyway i do that in <laughs> right. war machine anyway yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> but yeah the and, then randomness. You, and then you forget yeah. that Muldacarn has future sight yeah hey now <laughs> all righty so uh i do want to talk i do want to make a comment though um about another game that i played before we get to the, the war machine games um and uh so you know, many of our listeners know that I used to coach chess, and I coached chess for like eight years or something, and um, and I have a lot of fun with the game, and I enjoy playing the game, but I haven't uh, coached, I'm not coaching this season, and um, so I think last season was, uh, last year was my last time coaching, right? And, um, and my son goes off to college, and he finds a roommate, and they start playing uh, blitz chess, which is just uh, ten minutes each on the, on the chess clock, and they just play all the time, and they keep like a running total of of how, how many games they win and and things like that. And so he's like getting really good, and he's like reading about chess, and he's like learning terminology. And so last year he came home and just like whooped me a bunch of times, right? And 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 I and it wasn't fun for me. I was like, wow, my son is better at chess than me right <laughs> but um i want to uh share with my listeners that i am now on a three game win streak against my son we did oh, man. we did uh two weeks ago he came over and uh, from from college and we had and we had um a blitz game and i pulled out the victory and he was like whoa 
And then like last week we had like a birthday or something and he was back at the house and, and you know, blitz game and I pulled out the victory. And then, but this time it was better. So I pinned, I pinned him in a big, in a big time way. Hmm. And he was just like, Oh wait, Whoa. <laughs> and then so on Thanksgiving day he comes home and we're having, you know, whatever. And so we're playing chess and, uh, and, um, and we did not use the timer and I took a long time on like turn six or something. And he was like, oh, we should have the clock because I would win, right? <laughs> and I was like, well, we'll just see how this goes. And so, um, and so, uh, and, and I, I'm proud to say I didn't just beat him. I walloped him. <laughs> <laughs> it was a solid uh, victory. And I felt good. I felt like, oh, this is how I used to play chess. And, yeah. and my poor son. And he shook my hand and went home. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna stop coming over. <laughs> no, anyway, but but here's the thing though. Here's why I want. Here's why it's relevant, and here's why I want to share with the with the or listening audience. Um, as he's putting the chess pieces away, he makes the comment. He goes, "See, chess is the best miniatures game out there." <laughs> and I was like, "Well, it is miniatures. It is a game." I said, "Yeah, okay, sure, I'll agree with you." And then <laughs> didn't want to, didn't want to start an argument because I have a lot of things I could say about that. But um, anyway, so uh, so yeah. Anyway, I am on a three game win streak. Okay. Hey, how about uh, how about any War Machine games? Any of you guys get any War Machine games in lately? No, not lately. All right. So <laughs> just, just me. Okay. So I just, I, I, yeah. I've been working too much since yeah. uh, Jody, yeah. Jody twisted their knees. So we're down a person at work. I've just been working. Yeah. I think it really cuts Long into the playing time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I, you know, um, I have a live-in gaming partner, so Oz and I get games in a lot. And so I'm still working on as a dash list, and I'm playing around with um, the makeup of the battle group right now. And then I have a new version that has a I switched out the units and a little bit more combined arms. But anyway, we played again last week, and as a dash two against Siphon One, and I. I think I won that one. I think I posted a picture because, yeah, because the time before he beat me when he rolled triple sixes on damage, um, and so, that kid. Um, but um, <laughs> um, but yeah, but this time I was able to get. I don't think he realized the threat of the savages, like how fast they are, and you know, and so I got two savages on him and and just you know put siphon in the dirt, um, like top of three, and so felt pretty good to do that. Here I am beating up on my kids. Yeah. Hey, I'm a good dad. Get it, get it while you can. I have to, right? Well, they need to learn resilience. <laughs> yeah, they need something. You know, you hey. know what they say is you can learn a lot more from a loss than you can from a victory. So you're just we uh, have an entire episode about yeah. that. You're just teaching them the hard way <laughs> about their mistakes. I'm a good dad. Yes. I'm teaching. My, all right. Hey. Okay. Hey. So we brought Curtis on to talk about um, <laughs> how to manage um, a hobby desk. And, and you have a lot of projects that you do personally, but you also have a lot of projects that you do for other people. And, and so can you just tell us a little bit about kind of where you are in gaming? Um, what, how, how did you get to this point in your, um, in, in your hobby life? And, and what do you do to, to manage the load? And let's just, ha- let's just have a conversation. Sure. So, I started out playing Dungeons & Dragons when it was actually just the original box set from whatever it was, 76, I think. And weirdly enough, my brother was the one that got it. But the place we had to buy it from was a tobacco shop. 
Hmm. So oh, wow. the London pipe shop, you go in, it's all about, you know, stuff you put in your pipes and whatever other things are. But there was a tiny, tiny section for Dungeons and Dragons. And so it we may would have been go in the there. only ones brave enough to, to bring it in. <laughs> well, I think he was from London. He was a big fan of the the idea of role playing games. And yeah. it was also at a time too when you had to have other weirdly supporting games like what was the one it was outdoor adventures or something. Hmm. Where it's like, if you want to do any kind of movement on a map, you actually had to buy a separate game, which was just about trailblazing across maps. Hmm. Oh, huh. <laughs> okay. That's like so, a meta game. So <laughs> I, that was where I first got started. And it actually got started painting miniatures when it was just, I think they were literally lead figures. Yeah. Not not some kind of safe thing, but the ones where you could actually yeah. grab a hold of them and bend them very easily. <laughs> So maybe there's something wrong with me right now because I've had too much lead fun as a child. <laughs> but uh, I kind of got into collectible card gaming for a while. Also did some Magic the Gathering during the revised era. Yeah. Uh, became friends with the Alt-Rack Entertainment Group people during an open house. And so that's kind of how I got to know Matt Wilson because he was art director at the time for them. And you know he and I mm. catch up every once in a while and I've had kind of a, a gap in my my gaming history, but uh, I'm trying to get back into it. And so it's nice being able to, you know, go up to lock and load and see Matt. And like, he goes, like he actually knows who I am still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of nice. Cause you know, he and I only make contact like, every five years or so. Yeah. But, uh, I think the, one of the things that got me back into painting was really just, I used to play Dungeons and Dragons with my neighborhood friends and, you know, everyone kind of wants to have their miniature. So I would go out and just buy a miniature of like, Oh, it's a gnome with a, a wand. And so I just buy them. And then it was like, well, I kind of like it, the idea of having them painted too. Yeah. So I would just do the very simple, the pouch is brown, the cloak is green, yeah. you know, the shirt is blue, stuff like that. Yeah. And no kind of contrast or anything. And it's funny, I was digging through my closet and I found them again. I'm like, okay, the the, the contrast is horrible, but I like that the colors are vibrant. And at least the eyes don't look horrible. Yeah. You know, they still look like they've had too yeah. many drugs and their eyes are dilated super big and stuff. But, you know, that's part of the joy of early miniature painting. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, about two years ago, I really got into the hobby side when Portland Game Store was having their miniature painting competition. And miniature painting to me was just sort of something I had a lot of free time on my hands. It was helping fill a gap, you know, the whole keeping out of trouble thing. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I put together my first competition miniature and it was like, I'm so proud of this. I've done so much work on it. And I turn it in and I'm like, okay, it's at best mid table compared to some of the others. Yeah. But the thing is, is that it inspired me then to go back and say, well, what can I do to make it better? Nice. You know, rather than just, you know, my idea was of doing something with any kind of contest was just a wash. And I didn't have a whole big set of washes, so I would just, like, here, I'll just throw some darker colored paint and put a little water in it or something and let it just dribble down. So it wasn't the best, but it, it did get me back to saying, next year I want to be, be better and try some stuff out. And as everybody knows, there's a million things on the internet to, if you want to learn yeah. a painting technique. Oh, yeah. So I've just progressively, you know, again, I still have a lot of free time in my hand. And I find it really therapeutic to be able to paint, especially during, like, the last, you know, moments of the night. If I take an hour, like, an hour, half an hour or something like that and at least get something done, it really, like, winds me down. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. So, um uh yeah so when you um were taking these steps to get better 
um, what what um, what were the, some of the things that um, that you did specifically? Maybe you can help some of our listeners, you know, who are kind of timid with their paintbrush, um, gain a little more confidence in just getting out there and doing it. Like, how did you overcome the hump? I guess is maybe 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 that's a good question. Let's start there. Yeah, I think there's there's always going to be things that that scare you as a painter. Even there's a lot of things I try that. I, some things come very nat- will come very naturally to a person. Some things will be a challenge to a person. It's just a matter of your skill set. So probably the best thing you can do, I mean, is just at least paint. If you get color on a miniature, you know, you throw down just your, your primer over the top, throw down some basic colors, even if you're horrible. You're like, I want my army to be blue with a little bit of red. Put, a little, put your blue on, just even if you slop it on, put red in your spots where you want. That's at least better to me mm-hmm. than just a plain silver yeah. miniature. So it's yeah. not, again, it's not taken away from the people that say, listen, I just want to play the game. If I could just have it out of the box and not have to assemble, I get it because there yeah. are some games where I don't feel like I even want to assemble and paint them, but it's just because I like having my army painted. Yeah. But uh, the other thing too is I think as you get more practice in, the brush control is a big thing. So if you can get your nice, you get your clean lines between your colors helps a lot in mm. making everything stand out and then you know just progressively build more and more detail into it and if you want to know how do i paint eyes eyes are always challenging there's again a thousand videos on youtube yeah. that will show you yeah. how to do it how much um how much time do you spend watching youtube videos you know i usually do it i have it a little bit independently but i usually throw something on while i'm painting so sometimes oh, okay. it's a podcast sometimes it's a you know, a lot of times I use it for inspiration, especially mm-hmm. there's some people that will put together a, like a 20 minute video. And sometimes that's what I need to get, you know, if I'm kind of in a, a slump and not feeling inspired to paint, I'll put one of those on. And it's pretty impressive what some people can come up with, especially, you know, there are people willing to just give their content away for free, essentially. Yeah. And they're some world-class painters as far as I'm concerned. Oh, man. Over the weekend, I watched um, Darren Latham paint a flame torch. And and it was the best tutorial on how to paint fire I've ever seen. And I was just, I was completely hooked. It was like 20 minutes, you know, and it was probably the best 20 minutes I had that day. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> I learned a lot that time. So I, I get that. I mean, I, I absolutely get that. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is if you're wondering, like, how do I paint jade? The best thing you can do with anything like that thing, fire you know, some type of texture or something is just go online and look up pictures. And there's going to be something out there where you're like, okay, I want to paint a frog man, but I don't want him to just mm-hmm. be the plain green frog. Maybe he wants to be like a vibrant tree frog. There mm-hmm. are, you can find dozens and dozens of pictures and you're going to find that one that you say, okay, that speaks to me. And again, maybe you don't have the skills necessarily to replicate it, but every time you're trying to push yourself to be a little bit better, you'll get a little better. Yeah. So even if it's not the pace you want. Yeah. Nice. So I was going to ask, like you're saying, you know, just get you out with your brushes and your paints and stuff. So did you like find yourself starting with like some cheap brushes and paint? Did you got to get the expensive guys? Do you have a recommendation? I think, you know, <laughs> you know, it's funny that for a while it was really just, I would buy a set of Michael's paint brushes and like, here's the ones I need. And I would use them and they're all the cheap uh, synthetic brushes and you know, some immediately would get the little hook tip or some would yeah. just start to fray right away. And it was a lot of bad uh, 
brush maintenance, so I wouldn't be cleaning them properly, and yeah. I would be getting paint in the ferrule, which is the, the metal part of the paintbrush, and it, it that's what really destroys the brushes. So a lot of bad habits that I've been trying to overcome and still haven't quite gotten, but there came a point where I've been working with Coleman, who's one of the people on our, our Discord and is a local. He's a fantastic painter, and he gives his uh, usually a monthly painting clinic, and so I would sit down with him and you know, try and get into what are the good habits and what are the techniques and so forth. So he's really helped me become a better painter. And a lot of it for me is I don't feel, I haven't felt like I've had the bravery. A lot of painting is bravery and saying, I'm going to make this work. And so it's like buying my first expensive paintbrushes. I had them for six months before I started really using them. <laughs> and so I got the Windsor Newton Series 7 that, you know, most people have. And they run, you know, somewhere around 16, 20 bucks a piece. So you're like, well, this is no longer a dollar throwaway brush. Yeah. So now I kind of want to take care of it, but I also want to know, like, what do I do to not get it destroyed? But uh, it is really just kind of learning to, you know, experiment with what you're doing as far as your techniques and so forth. Even if it seems like this shouldn't work, a lot of times things will work even when you don't realize it. So like contrast was a big problem for me. I would always stay in the mid-tones area. I'd never go super dark. I'd never go super light. And I'd like... It looks fine, but it doesn't look great. And then you look at someone else's miniature and going, how does that thing look so great? Even though their technique might be worse than mine, it still looks better. And it's because a lot of times it'll be contrast. They'll get their shadows darker and they'll have just the finest lines on their highest highlights. And it will really make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good tip right there. Yeah. Um, you uh, manage, a, you have a lot of things on your hobby desk. And you manage a lot of pro uh, projects, not just for yourself, but for other people. Um, tell us what it's like to paint for other people. Um, you know? And Chad, you, you have it's some experience. I was going to say, Chad too. might yeah. be the better person. I just started <laughs> yeah. doing it. Well, both of you do that. And so what's, what's that like? And maybe you guys, maybe the two of you can riff off uh, this idea for a couple minutes. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's, it's always very nerve-wracking. Because you not only want to do a good job, you want to make sure that the person likes it. So I try to have, if I'm ever taking a commission or painting a piece for somebody, I like to try and go over as much stuff as I can with them about like what colors do you, what colors are you looking for? Um, do you have like a base idea for a color palette? And then I try and get as close to that color palette um, with the colors that I have, and then also with uh in the right textures and and stuff like that uh example there was uh, a kenku there was a kenku rogue character that i painted for somebody um that was their D, &D miniature and i was like okay do you have kind of any references for like color preference or anything like that and they actually sent me a little kind of cartoon sketch of the character um, that was colored in and I just tried to get as close as I could to that with the mm. miniature because the miniature is not exactly the same as the drawing uh, just because of the you know the way that clothing works or the way that the items that they picked when they had the model 3d printed because I think they got it from hero forge and so try and get as close to that um, get to a point where you're satisfied with it and a lot of times I will snap a picture before I'm done before I give it to them and send it to them and say, Hey, is this looking good? Do you want me to redo it? And then it, I haven't had them tell me that they weren't happy with it. So I've been fortunate that the work that I have done, people have been really satisfied with. 
Uh, my buddy that I, I painted a bunch of orcs, orcs for, he gave me kind of like, he gave me some artistic uh, freedom. And so I got to kind of like play around. He gave me a general idea with some specific colors that he wanted. He was like, but have fun with it. I was like, okay, cool. And, and he loved all of the stuff that I had done for him. Uh, and those were fun models to play around with. And those are also times where I got to experiment with some different techniques and things. Yeah, and that's the thing that, like, I wouldn't have done the commission work if it wasn't Jason Walker because I've known him well enough and I know he always wants to have something painted. But I think he and I come from the opposite sides of the same coin. Like, I knew what he was looking for and I knew I could do what he want. Plus, he is very good about saying, here's the general color scheme I want, and but I just want you to do your thing. So you don't have to replicate what's on the box. You don't have to replicate the pictures I'm sending you of just some examples. And so like Chad said, I would take a picture when I'm like 30% done where I just have the base colors down and I would send it to him and say, I just want to make sure you're okay with this. This is the idea I had because one of his things, he says, I want this, you know, Malifaux crew to look like they have some ties together somehow. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. for the most part, I made them all kind of a I forget what it's called, like Mage Hunter Green. Okay. Is that the new color? Yeah. Kind of like that would be the overall color. But I also like, let me put a little red, a little bit of white, and then I want the fire to be traditional fire, even though like the box art was sort of a, a green fire. I just thought, I don't want green fire with green miniatures. Yeah. And so, you know, send it to him. He said everything is good. So just keep going. But I always tried to, you know, when I reach a milestone, I would just give him an update and... I just dropped him off yesterday for him. And so yeah. nice. I have a nice little walking around town money yeah. now. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And I think, especially for people who aren't used to doing commissions, I think being terrified of trying to do a good job for somebody is a very common thing. Cause there was a, there was a young lady that used to come to the store for uh, magic who did card altars. And I had seen some of her altars and things that she did. They all looked very, very nice. And I actually had her do some altars for me. There were three specific cards I was looking to get done for a certain deck that I can't find in foil um, because they're just too old. And so I gave her one card and I was like, you know, this is, uh, you know, do an art extension so that the border is essentially not there. And she ended up sending me, she sent me a picture of it. She was like, does this look okay? I'm pretty much done with it. I was like, yeah, that looks, you know, phenomenal. Like, and she did a fantastic job on all three of the cards that I ended up having her do. And she was like, it was so, it was so nerve wracking to send you a picture. Cause I wanted to make sure that it looked good. And I haven't really done a whole lot of commissions for other people. And uh, one of the cards actually, she said was very interesting because the original art had been like done in colored pencil. And so she had to replicate that with the paints that she was using to make sure that it looked consistent and it, they look fantastic. Uh, but she, you know, was like me and she was like, I was so nervous about sending it to you. I was like, I, I totally get it. I was, it, but they look gorgeous. So don't, yeah, don't feel bad. <laughs> when, when you showed them to me, I, I didn't realize that they were, what they were like they oh, yeah. at first glance they looked just that's how they intended yeah. to be yeah she did a, a phenomenal job yeah so you've only commissioned done commission work for one person then and it's someone that you have a, a relationship with yeah would you ever consider doing commissions for other people is it, that something you enjoy doing i'd say if it you know if it was someone in the community i i think i could do it because again i've 
if I've seen them face to face and I know who they are and they know who I am, I think it's different because you you have that direct connection with them. Whereas yeah. if, if it's someone just on the internet, you don't know what expectations are. You don't know what the experience is going to yeah. be. They just sort of become a faceless person. So uh, the worst thing I would want, the wor- I think the thing that would break me the most is if I put a lot of effort into producing something I thought was quality and deserving of whatever yeah. I was charging to send it to them and them just say, this is garbage. Yeah. yeah. Now, do that, you, that is the fear. <laughs> do you build them and paint them or do you ask them to be assembled when you get them? Uh, Jason built them all. So this okay. is just for a Malifaux crew. And he, he originally it was just, he did, had me do one because he says, I can't paint and fire. And I know you can. <laughs> yeah. And he did a great job. I saw a pic of it and I actually saw it in real life. Uh, when I was at the store, yeah, the uh, flaming wheel, yeah. I don't even know what it's called. Yeah, I, I flaming wheel, the face on the side. I don't either. <laughs> so it, it, I don't, I don't play that, that faction. So, yeah. Hey, um, so, um, does, so painting other people's stuff, how does that make you like when you come back to your things, like, how do you feel about the, like the stuff that you have to do for yourself? Um, is there a, is that a nice, is it a palate cleanser for you? Is it a, uh, what is that? What was that like? And plus, it was a completely different game, right? Yeah, because, I think that was the biggest yeah. thing is that it was so different than like I just for the most part paint War Machine or War Machine adjacent products. That after a while, you get tired of painting the same trolls all over, especially because the aesthetic in the armies when you have like every third person is the same as the last, you know. So if you have a, a unit of 10, th- there's three units of three that all look alike, it's very tiring to do that but yeah when you have something like Malifaux where if you have three geisha characters each geisha looks different than the other one yeah so you have a little more artistic freedom and so being able to go across and try to production line the miniatures while also giving them or each unique touch was kind of nice so you can keep the consistency of the overall theme and they're all, they're also different size and sensibility and yeah you want to kind of want to play to it so it helped help inspire me at least in, you know, trying some new things out, or at least, you know, again, I'm trying to do this efficiently because I want to be able to, you know, not spend five hours per model, but right. I also want to give them a good quality product. So I've done enough, you know, sort of learning on my own that at least then it helped produce it, I would say, efficiently enough that I was happy. And it sounds like Jason was happy, but it did, there were times when I was looking over at my desk going, oh, I really want to paint that Riot Quest miniature that's been sitting over there for the last two weeks. So uh, I think that's going to be my next step. Yeah. Yeah. I was running into a similar thing with like trying to get all my circle stuff painted this, this year is the beginning of the year. There was a bunch of Tharn model releases and uh, I did a couple of those and got tired of tired of painting that, that aesthetic. Uh, And so I would, I'd like to try and have, a couple of different things on my desk that I'm working on so that if, um, or looking at things that inspire me that look like a lot of fun as a palette cleanser from time to time. And yeah. So let me ask you this. Okay. So, uh, so we all play war machine and, um, that's kind of our primary game and we play a number of other games. Um, but is there, is there a line or is there a model or is there something out there that you haven't had a chance to paint yet? that you really, really want to try painting? The answer is always yes. Because <laughs> every day there's yeah. something new coming out that you go, I don't know what that is. I don't even know if there's a game associated with that, but that thing's gorgeous. I kind of want to paint it. Yeah. 
I saw that something uh, like that over the weekend. There, uh, yeah. There's a number of different artists uh, and painting things that I follow on Instagram. And uh, actually last night somebody posted a picture of, um, so it was a, I don't know if it's like a posable action figure or if it was like a, a, a just a, a plastic model or something like that of Zelda from the legend of Zelda that they had primed and were painting and they had started working on like the face pretty much just getting the skin, uh, the skin tones down and stuff like that. And I was like, man, that model looks really cool. And they had bought it off eBay like five years ago or something. And we're finally getting around to doing it. But I was like, I kind of want, that model yeah. because I love Zelda and that model looks like it'd be really fun to paint. Cause there's a lot of different textures. There's the face, the hair, there's the kind of um, like the circlet that she's wearing. And then she has like her flowing dress, but then there's also kind of like a small breastplate piece that uh, is like kind of part of the dress as well. So there's like a lot of different textures in there too, that you can do a lot of interesting things with. And, um, most of my stuff that I paint is all War Machine. I've done some 40K stuff, but I do also frequently kind of cruise around and look at different things that just look really cool or interesting yeah. that would be fun to paint. But yeah, and it seems like now it's every usually model by model, every intellectual property out there now has a game associated with it. Yeah, so what, if you like, if you like Hellboy, if you like Big Trouble in Little China, yeah, whatever game or movie or Saturday morning cartoon, there is probably a game with miniatures in it now. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you're going. Oh, I can't buy into everything. Yeah. But man, how do I get one of those? Yeah. Well, or there's a lot of just different companies out there that there's a couple of different companies out there that just make cool models to get used as stand-ins for other game systems. That's what I was going to say. Like Raging I've Heroes started quite a few smaller projects. Yeah. And they're and they're, you know, one-off kind of, you know, presses and there's no game associated with them. But the models look wicked, yeah. and that's what I wanted. So, Creature Caster, the Canadian company, is one that I I frequently go back and look at some of their stuff because they have a lot of uh, varying like demons and stuff like that that are get used a lot for Age of Sigmar, yeah, and that was Nurgle. where I had gotten the Lady of Anguish not this past year but the year before at Attack X. Uh, and bought it and painted it and really spent a lot of time on that model and did some different experiments with it. And it turned out really, really nice. But they always have just gorgeous, gorgeous models um, that aren't for any particular game system. Yeah. So you have uh, won for an award for your painting. Um, can you describe um, what the process, like the model you chose, where you submitted it, and... And just kind of and how it felt afterwards for winning. Sure, I've actually won technically two awards. Ooh. Okay, well, <laughs> two competitions. I wouldn't say I won a competition. Okay, I've won one competition and won an award in another. It's, okay. There's a d distinction between that, and I'll explain. So, uh, last year I decided to go to lock and load, and I wanted to try the painting competition because I'd been working for about a year on just improving my skills and. Uh, I thought, let me give myself a challenging model. So I picked Cole Grima from Trollbloods. A lot of detail. You know, she's got an owl. She's got a staff with all kinds of skulls and feathers yeah. and stuff on it. And she has kind of a, you know, a cool pose. And she's got a, you know, a, what do you call it? Like a bear cloth, cloth cloak? Cloak. There yeah. we go. Yeah. And so it gave me a chance to work on a lot of different techniques. And again, just keep pushing myself. And I was really proud of that. And I still am. And so I always... The other thing I've been told is like when you finish a, a miniature of a competition, 
whether you do first place or, you know, not first place, always keep it as it is. So if there's things you look back on and say, oh, mm. I forgot to throw some highlights in there or I should have done this, you know, different color on something, just leave it as is. It, leave it as a milestone because it'll remind you. Like, I can look at my miniature from two years ago and say, that is nowhere near as good as I can do. I can blow that thing away every day without even trying. Probably, I could pr probably do something in an hour that is still better than that one. <laughs> because, again, it's just, it's practice. What <laughs> was it? Right. Practice, practice, practice. But uh, going in there, I felt really strong that my miniature was, I could look at it in the display case, and there's probably 80 miniatures in the display case at lock and load. And I could look at it and say, it belongs in there. It belongs in the running with some of those others. There were nice. there are definitely there definitely is a what do you call it like artistic eye that you pick up after you practice more and see more and so forth. That but I still knew there were a couple in there that I'm like that one of those two is going to win. And sure enough, one of those two won. And I think the other one came in second. So you can kind of see who the the head and shoulders people are above the rest. But uh, you know when it came down to it, it was kind of heartbreaking because of all the miniatures in there, only about. I think it was 20% of the people got something, mm -hmm. even if it's just a, so they do it based off of uh, individual uh, accomplishment. It's not necessarily, you know, first, second, third, although they do have like a first place category and like a solo first place and colossal and so forth. They don't do it. Like if there are 10 people that do gold level standard, they will give you a gold award for those. Mm. It, it really just depends on, again, what they feel is how you did. And so, there were a good 80% of the people going, I got what? Nothing? Oh, I get a little pin. And <laughs> I can have some constructive criticism afterwards, which I, I will say this. It actually did help a lot in talking with them because there were some, like each, they had three different judges and th each judge had a different take on it. And so I talked and listened to each one of them. And one talks about the art artist's eye. And he says, I can just look at a miniature and I can tell you where it is. That's a silver. That's a gold. That's a thank you for showing up. You did great, but it's not That's an me. award. <laughs> <laughs> but another one was very technical, like, oh, well, I, I don't know if you noticed, but you didn't paint the necklace. And I look, and I'm like, whoa, that's one of the only things I think I missed. But I'm, yet I'm getting critiqued. It uh, felt like kind of harshly for missing that. But I'm like, well, it is kind of a tiny necklace, but I did miss it. So I'll, hmm. I'll take the criticism. And then there was one that was more of like the, let me explain some, you know, some color theory. And like, here's some things you could have done that I think would have, like, this choice on the color I don't think was the best choice because it's kind of conflicting with this and it's drawing the eye away from here. Hmm. And so each one of them was good, but it was really kind of heartbreaking to go, this is one of my best miniatures ever, and you're holding it high above your head. And then they go, oh, here, how, here's a little pin. Thanks for playing. It, yeah. was, it was great. <laughs> but it kind of, like, for the first hour I was kind of heartbroken, but then once that kind of went away, I was like, you know what, I'm coming back. I'm getting that bronze next year. And so this last year I worked really hard and I probably did four different techniques I'd never done before. Nice. And I was just like, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to either fail or what I'm going to do, succeed, fail or somewhere in between, but I'm going to at least have tried. Yeah. And so I tried a lot of different things. So I put it on a, a plinth that I custom made, which is just the, you know, the cool looking base. And I build, built some, special terrain and so forth. And I tried some light effects I'd never done. And I think the thing that was most successful, I did like a molten, like glowing sword. Like you just pulled it out of the forge kind of look. I thought that came out really well. 
And I ended up with the bronze. But the thing is that after working on that miniature for, I don't know, it had to be over 40 hours. After 40 hours of looking at that miniature and getting to a point where you're at diminishing returns of run out, and you're just saying, I'm throwing paint on this, and it's not making it any better. Why did I just waste three hours of my time to get Hmm. what should be better but didn't really go anywhere? So I, I knew at least I'd put everything on the table, and I was actually kind of tired of it. Yeah. That when you're when you're at the halfway point, you're like, yeah, this is bronze level, maybe even silver. But the, by the time you actually you're turning in, you're going, I can't stand looking at that thing anymore. Yeah. But uh, I still end, I ended up with the bronze, and I feel like I was still borderline compared mm-hmm. to some of the other people that won. But I'll take it. Okay, that's nice. And the model you did was Horgle on that one, right? So yeah, and so he has kind of a a glowing sword, and then a just like a smith's hammer. Yeah, he was kind of going towards a a pedestal that had a a glow. It was supposed, to, it was really just going to be a glowing orb. And I'm like, well, this is all about throwing dice. So I can find a translucent die and put mm-hmm. it on top of there, and I'll put a little light inside, so I can actually switch it on on and off. Oh wow! But it also has OSL effect, so it looks like it's glowing even without it. Yeah, that's what I remember. You were posting the early pictures of it, and then kind of grew as you're getting like even just the community critique of us non-professional baiters, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, and they will look a lot different too in pictures because sometimes a miniature can look fantastic just at arm's length, and then you take a picture of it and you go, "Wow, it really is has a lot of imperfections." And yet, there's another one you say, "I'm yes. not really." <laughs> another one, so you look at it and you say, "I'm not really wild about it. It looks good, but I'm not wild." And then you take a picture of it and you go, "How is it? This thing is like nearly flawless in pictures, and yet the <laughs> other one they put much more time on yeah. that I feel like is yeah. a better representation." doesn't yeah. look good that happens yeah. a lot i'll be working on something out um for a while in the evening and then i'll just snap a picture of it thinking that i'm done and then i'm like looking at the picture again i'm like crap there's a touch-up i need to do that needs another layer that needs a little bit more like <laughs> yeah. hey uh so we're gonna kind of wrap this conversation up um i want to thank you for you know for joining us today um before we go just just nuts and bolts yes or no how many days a week do you paint? You know, it depends on the month. <laughs> okay. Some months I push myself, others I say I need a little break. Okay. But I say if you average it out, I probably average somewhere between an hour and two a day. Oh, you, okay. Nice. Wow. And then, and then, do you have a permanent setup? Yeah. Or do you? Okay. So you have like a designated space that you. Yeah, that my you girlfriend's have. very understanding. She says I want you to be happy and have your own little secured hobby area. Just don't let it bleed out into the rest of the house. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. So I, I, you know, some I really appreciate some of the things that you shared today, um, and there were a couple of like aha moments for me uh, with with how you were talking, and so I hope that the conversation was beneficial to our listeners, and and I personally want to thank you for coming on and, and just being part of our community. I think you're a rich part of it. You know, you make it make it good for the rest of us. So thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, before we wrap up this episode, however, I am curious and I want to know what is on everyone's hobby desk. So who wants to go first? Yeah. By the way, now you have to listen to me in in play, you know, in front of your face saying, what have you done, Dana? Yeah. What have you done, Jeremiah? <laughs> it's not just on the Discord. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to show you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, personally, I just got my uh, Marvel Crisis Protocol. And so uh, I was unboxing that last night. Um, like I was telling these guys before, I, I was doing the unboxing video and broke my stand, so I had to redo my setup. But anyway, um, so I got those finally 
I'm going to try building those up shortly. Um, then I've got, oh, what else do I got? I got all those base inserts I ended up getting glued in. Hot glue, so much hot glue. The smell. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, uh, Convergence, I want to start getting them painted up. I've been kind of slow rolling them and then uh, picked up a Army Painter Primer Paint in One plate mail, which is kind of like a... Um, Cold steel and P3. It's almost the same color. Anyway, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to just paint those silver and then, you know, touch up from there because it's a bunch of robots. So I'm going to need like a color, maybe some gold, and then that silver. So hopefully those won't go too bad. Hmm. Uh, I am back to getting getting finished with all my circle stuff to have at least. I'm faction complete as far as ownership. I'm trying to get at least one of everything painted. Uh, I finished up my Well of Orbros. At least I've feel like it's pretty much done other than basing um i was working on my Shadowhorn last night he just needs some dry brush uh highlights and then he's done uh for what i have left i've got ko2 and laris a razor wing unit and una 2 and then that's all that i have nice um and then my goal after that is to go back and redo a couple of things i need to redo the armor on my gnarl horn uh, repaint my blood tracker so that it's in with the rest of the color scheme. And then I've got some duplicates and stuff to to paint up eventually. And then get into going through all the minion stuff that works for Circle and getting that stuff painted. How long would you say it took you to paint all that? How many years is that worth? I don't know. Um, so I honestly really... I started painting my stuff a lot about... Actually, it was right before the first I-5, so it was about six years ago. Um, I started painting and got two lists painted. It was a Morvana 2 and a Chromac 2 list. So those were mostly beasts and things like that. Um, I When I was unemployed for about three and a half months, um, let's see, 2015, uh, I got a lot of painting done then. I got through, I think, uh, the majority of the faction that wasn't already done by then. Uh, and then I've just, it's just been kind of slowly over the years doing a piece or two, a couple of things, bouncing around a lot with the different, a few different things. But this year I've been really working to try and get the new releases that came out at the beginning of the year, go through a bunch of my other, um, stuff that was like half done that just needed to be hammered out and finished off. Like I had, uh, I had four world watchers that were all basically done with the exception of like maybe some more like a, a layer of wash or a couple other things. And I, at one point just hammered those out. So, um, I mean, I guess it's been over the last five, six years, um, little bits at a time, but, uh, I'm hoping that I will be faction complete and fully painted here soon. It's got to feel really good though. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, have, 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 as mine is partway in the process, I think it reached 50% earlier yeah. in the year. It's not an easy task. So yeah. to be able to, to get through that many is pretty impressive. Yeah, so. a couple of and a couple of the pieces I haven't done myself. Like, um, I've had a couple of other people paint a few things that I wanted done really, really well back when I was still very new to painting because I wanted better jobs done on them than what I could do. Uh, but probably ninety eight percent of it has all been me, and I'm gonna take I'm gonna get it all out of my table in my dining room and and take a picture of everything and then some up close pictures of all the different stuff. 
and say, Privateer Price, please stop making new miniatures for me for a while. Yeah. I need a break. <laughs> mm-hmm. Archons. No, that's not happen. no, because I'll find something else to buy. Yeah. <laughs> I did paint my Primal Archon recently, and I'm really happy with how that guy turned out. He was super fun to paint. Nice. Yeah. I'm still in building mode. I've got uh, a bunch of models I'm putting together for different games, and some a lot of terrain, actually, too. I you know wanted to make sure I have some of that uh, for some of the games we play, but I did um, get uh, Ozzy's Monpok primed over the weekend, nice. and so we did the whole bring it inside the house, warm the can up, shake, shake, race, race outside, spray, race inside, let it dry, you know, and it worked. It worked it worked well. So he's he's ready to go on his. So he, he you know. But that's where I'm at. What's on your desk right now, Curtis? Too much. <laughs> name, a, name one thing so we can hold you accountable. So, <laughs> right now, I think the top priority for me is to work on Riot Quest miniatures because yeah. I think they're they're fun to paint. Yeah, they're yeah. vibrant. They're pretty easy to paint too. And I kind of already designed a theme. You know, I just kind of like my team is going to be red team, so I just kind of throw a big swath of red across the miniatures so it it carries it. But I think they're so different because you're essentially painting however many 12 different factions or whatever we have Mm -hmm. that uh, it makes a lot more fun because you're constantly jumping between, you know, what does it look like? I mean, they're already weird-looking miniatures as is, but they're also going through different factions so you can kind of have a little fun with each one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I've been less concerned with, like, making them in keeping with the faction aesthetic because I don't own most of the factions that they Mm -hmm. are actually originally from, but uh, because most of them are all mercenary stuff. So I've just been doing cool things with each one based off of, like, the only one that I think that I'm actually going to go out of my way to make sure that it's in keeping is Chuck Dogwood because he's actually a circle model. So I'm going to paint him in my circle scheme because he is a partisan. I think he should, I think he will be a partisan. Well, I just want to wish all of you luck on your hobbies. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, uh, we're going to wrap this episode up. uh, But before we do, we have a wonderful announcement that we'd like to share with our listeners. Uh, We have been working on putting together a food machine event and we have our date. It's going to be January 11th, that Saturday. And uh, Rune and Board is going to host the event. Uh, we're going to just do three rounds. Di- registration at 10.30, dice at 11. The most important thing that I want you guys to know is that the Food Machine is a charity event. Uh, our goal is to raise as much donations of cans and food, of you know peanut butter and tuna packets and... Um, and just, you know, vegetables and meat and soup and all kinds of things. And um, the, the food donations are actually going to stay local. Uh, one of the, uh, what the, they're going to go directly to help students who are um, homeless or displaced, uh, part of the Hillsborough School District, which is kind of where we are lo- located right now. Um, it is estimated that the Hillsborough School District will have um, nearly 400 students this year who uh, at some point will be homeless or displaced. And so uh, we want to partner with them and we want to help alleviate some of the need that's out there in the community. And so I want to encourage our listeners to sign up. Uh, Rune and Board is going to make as much space as possible for to get as many gamers in. And we have... 
um, a fantastic a cheat menu. And so there will be purchases that you can make before the tournament that will apply uh, to your army for the entire day. And there will be purchases that you can make in the middle of the game to affect the outcome of certain actions or roles or all of the above. And the, the day is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be exciting. And, and, once, and more importantly, it's, it's for charity. And so please mark your calendars. And, um, and we'll, we'll have more things um, to, to share with you. We'll have some fantastic flyers. And we'll have the, the cheat sheet menu made available on our website as well. And, uh, and also at Runa Board. And we'll post it in our uh, Facebook page and Facebook painting group and wherever you know wherever you can find us we're going to have the information um but in the meantime please mark your calendars and so uh with that uh i just want to tell everyone hey thanks for being part of the conversation uh thanks for uh listeners thank you for being with us today um if you like what you're doing if you like what we're doing um uh you know give us uh give us good reviews on whatever app you're listening to whether it's itunes spotify or podbean or whatever and then tell your friends about us. And if you want to be part of the conversation, you can join the Facebook painting group, for example. Uh, Curtis will be there, and he'll be posting some of his things. And, and uh, he's a great person to connect with. Uh, Chad is there, of course. And, and Dan and me, you know, uh, I don't know why you want to talk to me about painting. But, um, <laughs> but also um, another great place to connect with us is on our Discord server. And so we, we have a lot of great conversations about all kinds of games. And so I just want to encourage you to do that. Um, in the meantime, just uh, get out there and play more games. Thanks. Thank you.